Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Ian Harvey came out to his family three times in Maine. First as gay at 19, then as transgender at 22, and finally as a stand-up comedian at 33. Now a trans man in his 40s, Harvey produced one of the best stand-up specials of 2016, CISO's May the Best Cock Win. In between, he met Margaret Cho thanks to MySpace, eventually becoming her opening act across North America, taking his own solo shows to the Melbourne Comedy Festival and San Francisco Sketchfest, starting his own comedy festival back home in Maine, and appearing on screen in Amazon's award-winning series Transparent and ABC's soapy drama Mistresses. He shares his relentlessly positive outlook with me and lessons he has learned along the way. So let's get to it! Okay, so Ian Harvey, uh, thank you for inviting me to uh, lovely Studio City, California, <laughs> where everything is uh, a potential deal in the making. Um, awesome, thank you. Uh, I paused there for a second because they just brought this lovely uh, c- coffee, and th- we're going to switch those. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Where do I get cream? Thank you. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking to him in the microphone. I like that. I just It's just habit that like I just automatically turn with my body as if I'm on stage right now talking to people. Well, it's a recognition that there is a world around us. <laughs> Whether you're here with us in person or whether you're just listening in your headphones. Um, there is a world around and us. And it's very sunny in this world right now. Yeah. Um, which it had... It, it's been sunny the last couple of days, but it's been windy. Like, crazy windy. So this is the first really spring day that I've felt here. It's so warm and sunny and beautiful in Southern California. <laughs> this is what I dreamed about when, when I left Maine 11 years ago. Uh, this is what I dreamed about. Well, you could dream about this. You probably didn't even know to dream about having a CISO special <laughs> since CISO wasn't around 11 years right, ago, I let alone about, one year ago. And not about CISO, but I dreamed about it. I knew, I, and you know what? Like, May I, the best cock win? May the best cock win. I knew that it was going to happen. I just didn't know when. I really did. Like, I really knew that eventually that I would get to have that under my, you know, on my resume. Thank you. Um, I knew that the, it would come. I just, it was one of those moments where I just had to like hunker down and like put on my horse blinders and not pay attention to what other comics are doing or getting or not getting and like do my thing and be dedicated and that it will come. I knew that it would. I, and people say, well, why did you think? Because you deserve it? And I'm like, no, because I dreamed it and I went after it. And not because I deserve it, but because I've just. I'm tenacious. I really am about. I'm not like. I'm not knocking other people out of the way, but I. I really do put on horse blinders and forget what everybody else is getting or not getting or getting booked or how did you get that? Like right. comics ask those questions to each other, you know. Right. Who books like, that? Yeah. Who books that? How'd you get that? What? what, what who's? Who, who do I have to talk to? Right. And like I just don't pay attention to that shit at all, and I just. I just do my thing. Did coming from Maine help? In that well, respect? I think and. New England sensibility is really kind of like do it yourself because nobody's going to fucking do it for you. And, you know, from, you know, you know, stage time like to 
um, you know, I did have a, f- a first special hour that I filmed called Superhero. In 2012, I filmed it. And we edited it. It came out really great. Um, but I pitched it to networks. I pitched it to Showtime. I pitched it to a bunch of different places. And everybody was like, well, we're really looking for AAA talent, you know, like Margaret Cho and, you know, people of her level mm-hmm. and higher, which I also knew on some level was kind of bullshit because I just, I, they weren't ready for me yet. Like as a trans comic, which a lot of people think that that sort of pigeonholes me, which it doesn't. And I'll talk about that in a second. But like they, they just weren't ready. Like the world wasn't ready. You know, there wasn't that tipping point that, you know, we talk about Laverne Cox being on Orange is the New Black and the trans subject matters being so much more visible in um, stories being told in TV making and art making and um, so right, transparent. Hadn't yeah, I mean yet. transparent. And actually, you know, touring with Margaret and working on Transparent is what got me managers, which, which is what got me, which elevated my voice, which is what got me the special. And then when they said, "Hey, w- w- you know, we pitched to, to this production company that which sold it to CISO." Basically, they said, "Ian has an hour. We want you to watch it." And then that production company was the company that said yes. And then they turned around and sold it to uh, CISO. Um, and that's how it works. If anybody out there is wondering how this works, usually you have to find a production company that has uh, n- relationships with networks that um, that are buying comedy specials. So if, if you're wondering how that even works and you're thinking, like, that will never happen for me, find somebody who on your behalf can write to a production company that makes comedy specials regular, reg- on the regular mm-hmm. for um, comics, and they are the ones that have relationships with networks. Do you think having to wait until the end of 2016 rather than 2012 when you thought you had the hour with Superhero, do you think that in the end benefited you, having to wait that extra four years? Listen, I there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, it doesn't matter if you think you're ready. It doesn't matter. If the world isn't ready, then you're not ready. Like, if it doesn't align, then you're not ready. You know, like, right. you can say, you, I could have said ten years ago... You know, four years into my stand-up career, I'm like, oh, I'm ready for, you know, a half-hour special on Comedy Central Presents or whatever. There are thousands of people who say that right now. Yeah, And the truth is that shit has to align for that to happen, and shit didn't align. So I accept and fully accept that it wasn't supposed to happen in 2012, that it was supposed to happen this year. And so... um, I, I and that's I think that's one of the hardest things that for people to do as artists is to accept that and especially when you're trying to be known with your art and your voice and is to find that acceptance that it's not in your timeline it's in somebody else's timeline it's the universe's timeline and you have to be relentless you know you have in your pursuit you have to not take no and in fact I don't even believe in no by the way I've never I don't believe I've ever gotten a no I believe that People have said that you're not a good fit for this, auditions. Um, I've thought, okay, I don't even believe that's a no. It's a pivot to another direction where there's a yes waiting for me. And I'm annoyingly positive, and that pisses people off. Like it, It's funny, because I, I, and it also makes me the happiest person you'll probably ever meet. Because I 
I don't believe in no. I believe that, okay, I wasn't right for that. Why would I want to be part of something that I wasn't right for? Do you want to be invited to? Do you want to crash a party you weren't invited to? No, right. you don't. Like, you want to be part of something that you're meant to be part of. So I believe that it aligned exactly how it was supposed to and right at the, right ex- the exact time that it was supposed to. How much does being a trans man in, in recognizing that identity in yourself translate into this professional aspect of of being relentlessly okay this is how it's supposed to be listen I mean I do think that uh, there's an issue out there with comedy bookers who think that when comics have a certain identity that they are only to play to others that have the same identity Um, so like you know I'm a trans guy you think I'm going to only play trans audiences that's fucking ridiculous and that's a booker's problem not mine um it might be my job to help educate them that that is not that's not a true thing. In fact, I would say to any booker out there that if if you think that comics who have an identity are pigeonholing themselves to only certain crowds, it's like every comic out there is an identity comic. Jerry Seinfeld is an identity comic. His identity is that he talks about nothing, the minutia of the day. And so what I talk about is something that I'm very passionate about. I talk about my identity, and Jerry shares his identity. I share mine, and no matter... The, the rule is, the absolute rule is, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, even if it's a repetitive topic. doesn't matter what you're talking about. As long as it's funny, you should be able to get booked. And it's that is good for any audience. Like, I'll tell you, I play... I play I don't really get to play a lot of A clubs. Once in a while I do and headline an A club. Um, it's the B clubs who take the risk or take the, and I don't even say it's a risk because if you're funny, it's funny, you know, and you should be able to play any audience in any club. But I think, I just want to say back, it's back to our bookers issue and right. that there's still some really old school people out there. Um, I'll tell you the people who book me the most are female bookers. Dude bookers <laughs> are the ones that are the old, really much, much more sort of old school um, and, and think they, they book all the bros mm-hmm. first, book white bros first, um, Can you men just of tell color. them that you're a white bro and <laughs> right, right. let them figure it out later? Um, no, because usually they'll watch some of your set and, mm-hmm. and some of my, you can't, it's unavoidable in my set to hear something about being queer or trans. Mm-hmm. Um, I could send them a five-minute set, <laughs> you know, of nothing, you know, nothing to do with that, right. you know, or ten-minute set. But, but ultimately, um, you know, people, are, they're going to know. If they go to your my, my website, you know, they're going to figure that out. So, but, but when talking about, like, remembering that it's the booker's attitudes that you have to deal with and that you can stay relentlessly positive, didn't you already have to go through that, in a sense, with your personal transition, dealing with society and... No. Whatever it was like in Maine. No. 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 I mean, you know, listen, I'm not one of those... You didn't have... I'm not... I, I didn't have, have that experience that you were talking... That a lot of trans people have, which is... It was rough. Mm-hmm. I lost people. I didn't I didn't have that experience. I, I know that that is a lot of trans people's stories, and I, I absolutely... Well, you left before the current governor of Maine. Right. I did. <laughs> I, back, I go back to visit, but I'm there regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know what, like, I, this is, is, again, back to my sort of 
my perspective, right. like, it's not my fucking problem or my business what people think of me. Um, and I really don't give a shit. And I, it took me a long time to get there. But by the time that I came out as trans, my second coming right. out, um, I really had gotten to a point where I really did not give a shit about what people thought. So it, um, it made my journey through this easier. And I'm, and I'm not saying it's just about my perspective, but I also have a really great family. Not one of them has denounced me or, un, you know, disowned me or right. um, unattached themselves to me. Um, so n- no friends have left me. No, So I don't have that narrative that a lot of people sadly do. So um, I also back to that, you know, I... Listen, I don't put horse blinders on to social justice issues, but I put horse blinders on to what other people think of me. It's really not my fucking business. And that really has helped me tremendously on, you know, on on all aspects of my transition, of my comedy career, um, acting, um, even in like, you know, when someone wants to bring drama into my life, I'm like, oh, you know, it just uh, has really... There's like a, I have a foundation for, and I'm going to, I'll be honest, I think it really, for me, it really comes from recovery. I'm, I'm, I was just about to say, yeah. I, I would have to think that, that being sober, one, you're not deluding yourself chemically to the reality of the situation, but then you're also able to deal with it or process it. Right, right. And also to let go of it when it's time to let go of it. And I think that that's, um, for me, I really attribute a, a large portion of that to being in recovery for 24 years. So let's go back 11 years okay. to when you said you left Maine. Yeah. Where were you at personally and professionally? Um, personally, uh, I was ready to take a leap um, spiritually and try something new um, and be in a a new place and I um, I think it's in my nature to to be an adventurer and to want to jump and jump regularly and be take risks I think it's probably why I do stand up because um, it feeds that side of me that really enjoys the that leap taking of like having to get on stage and tell a new joke and the, how fucking terrifying that is um, so you know, I knew that I had sort of reached a place where I probably could keep going where I was in Maine and regionally, New England and New York and yeah, that sort of thing. The comedy connection and yeah, the comedy <laughs> connection. <ugh>. Um, <laughs> it, it was run by one of the most medieval bastards on the planet, um, who like basically believed that um, women could not headline um, at his club mm-hmm. um, or. Also, he just—he was just a—he was just a not a good person. Um, so I was actually really glad to be sort of out of there. Um, and I'm sad for my friends that that's not a venue anymore for people to go to, but uh, for them to perform at. But um, since then, so many other places have cropped up for them to perform at. But it was really—it was really archaic. Like, and he was probably one of the worst examples of old style comedy clubs, like an old booker, like totally sexist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and also uh, mafioso about other comics playing other clubs. So I was actually really relieved to like leave there and not. And it's funny because when I left, I remember 
one, someone who worked there was like, yeah, it's going to be rough on the road for you because you're not going to be as nice as we are here. And like, I was, I've never had a worse experience than at that club. <laughs> every club I've played at, I played mm-hmm. in probably every state in the country now. Mm-hmm a club in every state and not one of them was as mean as the people that ran that club and uh, anyway that's that's a lot to say about right. a club that's now dead but anyway um i was at i was at a place where i uh i really i i wanted to to feel and see something new and um i wanted to chase this dream of being a comic and being having my voice elevated in sort of larger spaces and larger communities. And so anyway, I hopped in, I packed up my truck and, um, comedically, um, I was four years in to my career. I was only two years into saying who I was really was on stage. I said, I, what were you saying the first two years? Well, the first two years I was, um, saying that I was queer, but I wasn't saying that I was trans. And two years after that, like, so it's like two, so two years in, I started saying that I was admitting that I was Mm. trans on stage, but I hadn't physically medically transitioned. So I looked like a soft butch dyke on stage telling people that I was a man. People were like, huh, we don't really know what that means. And especially in Maine, they didn't know what that meant. (laughs) So, um, so, uh, I packed up my my big old uh, 2001 Ford Expedition mm. to the gills, and that's, I, like, that's I, a solid main car. Yeah, it is totally. And uh, drove across country with my buddy Dan Fredrickson, who's also a comic. And um, we spent five weeks on the road, and we performed at clubs, and we stopped in a uh, one particular town in Boise, Idaho, and performed at the Funny Bone for a few weeks. Oh wow! Um, and then um, came on here to LA, and uh, I moved in with a friend of mine that I had known for like twenty years. And in the business or no? No, actually, uh, she's a cop. Actually, oh, okay. she's a LAPD. And a uh, lesbian, Dyke, of course. And uh, <laughs> is there any other kind of <laughs> cop? I don't know, female cop. Anyway, but um, now there you go. Yeah, I know, I know, totally generalizing. But come on. Um, so anyway, moved in with her, and um, which was awesome. It was mm-hmm. like one of those. Um, I called. I called her like six months previous to that, and I said, "Hey, do you know anybody who's looking for a roommate in L.A.?" And she said, oh, "Let me get back to you." And like a month after I contacted her, she said, "Actually, I am." And I said, "Okay, cool." So. 600 bucks a month um, and um, I got a room in her house and um, and I lived there for five, the first five years that I was here. Is that what made you decide LA instead of no, the temperatures. Instead, well, no, cause, I don't cause give usually, a because usually like it's like New York, starting Chicago, oh, Boston even. Well, I mean, I could go to Boston in an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, but Boston, I lived in Boston for a couple of years and there'd be people from yeah, me but, who drive down. I mean, other than like a handful of comedy spots in Boston, mm-hmm. there was, I mean, no, and no offense to Boston comics, no offense to Boston comics, but the, the scene there is great. There's great comedy there, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of places to perform. They didn't have the, the rest of show business there. And it was really up to between New York and LA for me. Um, I didn't consider Chicago even because I was like, okay, I'm not a second city person and I'm not, you know, looking for that dream. I'm looking for, I'm looking for TV. I'm looking for movies. I'm looking for stand up. I'm looking for kind of everything showbiz. How long did it take you in LA to figure that out? So six months after I was here, I went to the East side to a little gay bar there that this guy was doing a show called drunk on stage, uh, with Bruce Daniels. And, um, I happened to see Margaret Cho do a set that night. And, um, I went up to her and said hello afterwards and said, Hey, I'm a comic that whatever. And she said, Oh, I think I know you. And I said, what? She said, yeah, I think, um, 
think we talked on um, MySpace. This is how far, this is how long ago it was. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah. She said, yeah, you wrote to, there was this, I uh, was looking for comedy shows to do. And there was this uh, sh- burlesque comedy show called The Sensuous Woman. Okay. And it was her and a bunch of other people that did this show. Well, turns out she ran the MySpace page herself. So you were messaging her without so, knowing and it. She, and she wrote me back, but I didn't know it was her. So anyway, she uh, and I think my question was, do you have to be a sensuous woman to be on the show? <laughs> <laughs> and she wrote back and said, no. Well, anyway, she said it was me on the, on the MySpace thing. Mm-hmm. And so anyway... Um, uh, she invited me to. She gave me her it card. It is a place for friends. Yeah, it is. And uh, she gave me her card and um, uh, said, "Email me her, your set." And I said, "Okay." So I did. And um, she said, "I really love your gay hunters joke." And like we started chatting back and forth. She invited me to Largo to a show. And when we walked in together, she said, "Oh, you're going to do five minutes up in front of me." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> so I shit myself. Um, and uh, but I also was like, okay, this is your first chance to do something like this. Don't fucking blow it. Well, I kind of ate it. I didn't do really well. Um, but I think she also understood that I was nervous. And um, she got it, you know. And she's never, it's knowing her now for almost 11 years, I know that, like, she loves it when people eat it as much as when they kill it. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's, it's um, you know, in what she said to me, I think probably even that night was, you know, you don't, you don't ever learn anything from killing it. You only learn stuff from eating it. So, um, so anyway, we've been friends since I went on the road with her, um, probably a month after that I went on the road with her. That was in the fall of 2006. And, um, I don't know, like I, it, since then, like things really, um, that w- that was probably the major shift for me in like having someone believe in something that I was saying on stage. Um, that so- someone who was in the LGBT community um, as a queer person, as an ally, as someone who's as outspoken and funny as she is and with such a huge following, for her to say, come with me and to offer to elevate my voice in front of her audiences was huge. It really was huge. What so was- that was the shift. What was your first uh, TV credit? My first TV credit was probably it was probably <laughs> Comics Unleashed. <laughs> I was, I, it was probably I, Comics I, Unleashed. I was wondering if that was going to be it. Yeah, you know what? That that was uh, it. wasn't as horrible as Which the they comedy just club. And, the other, you know, they because do, they Comics do, Unleashed. I think I still get a little ch- like a twenty-eight cent check from them every time they play that. Um, which you know, it was one of it was probably not it was it was an okay TV experience to mm-hmm. understand like how it works, but it was not a great TV experience in that you know um, Byron Allen went up at the beginning of the show and I had no idea that they were going to do this and I actually couldn't hear him say this stuff. In fact, I was backstage, couldn't hear him. I was waiting to be introduced, but he's facing the audience. He doesn't have a mic like we have. He has a pin, you know a lapel mic. Right. And so he's just standing there, and he's not. His voice isn't being projected towards me, so I have no idea what he's saying. But I didn't see till the, it came out that he was like a carnival fucking barker, you know, at the beginning. Like, Ladies and gentlemen, you know, please don't change your channel because we're going to show you something you've never seen before. Right. Like, tell all your friends to change the channel, call them, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it was just so bizarre and gross. Um, and I don't know. I it, it wasn't like somebody wrote that for him. Like, it was like, that, those were his kind of own words. I don't think he was reading off a teleprompter, really. I think he just kind of went off the cuff and mm-hmm. said what it, so I'm not, I'm not going to blame it on someone else who wrote it for him. And that It really was what he wanted to say. And 
that there was this freak show that was about to happen um, on his show and to, to not look away. Um, so, and then later on the show, um, there's a, uh, my, he basically, it's like the worst show on the planet for stand up because basically you're just talking. Someone say to- it's the best show because <laughs> all it is is, hey, I heard you were on an airplane once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, Ian? How is that <laughs> the best show? Cue, it's like, the it's, so, it's so, it's so obvious like comics are just sitting down to, it's not having a conversation. Right, it's just, it's just that. Hey, it's the, do that bit. Yeah. Um, but at, you know when he did that to me, it was like, "Hey, so tell me about yourself, or whatever." And right. uh, I say that I'm trans and that I want to pee my name in the snow or whatever. And he's like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait!" And he knew ahead of time. I mean, right. this is not um, this. This so it just makes it even more gross. So he's like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" Acting super surprised, acting like he's never heard of this before. He's right. never met a trans person before. He's never or like, "Oh my god, oh my!" You know that that a whole that showmanship or he around you were this. Pulling something on him. Yeah. And um, and 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 then he does his addictomy joke. His he, this is like oh, he's just been waiting his whole life to fucking tell that joke. You know what I mean? And now he finally has his moment to tell it. And um, and he did. And it was like you know what they cut out was that the guy next to me, his name was Chris Mata. Mm-hmm. He's a comic for here from L.A. And um, he was sitting next to me. And he actually was sitting up pretty upright and normal in his chair until I said that. And then you could see his whole body language. He was shifted away from me. Like, he couldn't get further away in his chair, like, leaning in the furthest corner of his chair away from me. And he said, um, and they edited it out, but um, he said, you know what? I'm pissed right now. And uh, Byron's like, why? He's like, the chick next to me can grow sideburns and I can't. Just like you know what, dude. Whatever. I, I just laughed my way through it, and um, and it wasn't really in hindsight till I saw the full edit that I thought it was fucked up because I hadn't seen the the carnival barker at the beginning, right. and I thought, oh, and during the d- during the show, I just thought, oh, he's just been dying to fucking do this addictomy joke, right. and so he finally got it in, and I don't know. It was it was it was that was my first and kind of mo- maybe grossest experience. What did like, you learn from that? going forward um one i have no interest in doing his show again not that they would ever even ask me but um i don't know the last time they did new episodes a couple years ago but you know what it you know what it did for me was it made me want to ask a lot of questions before i go participate in something um there was a show like that was filmed on the jerry springer stage um (laughs) which actually kind of sounds like (laughs) <laughs> now this is just me bringing some of New York um, out to <laughs> Southern California. Yeah, um, it made me want to like ask producers, like, listen, what is this show about? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the angle here? Um, what are your questions going to be? Because they want to, they they want to do that too. But anytime there's like been interview stuff, like I make sure that I don't know that I do my due diligence, and um, I've passed on certain things because I didn't want to. I wasn't interested in the... But there was this show, I can't remember the name of it now, that was filmed on the Jerry Springer stage, but it was by this British woman. can't remember her name now. That's how, that's how big and important the show was. It wasn't the super nanny. No, it was a talk show. And um, she had myself and Rocco. Um, do you know Rocco? The rapper, trans guy. No. Um, he had like two or three guests of, of okay. us on there. Um and we all got to like privately conversed via email before we actually spoke to producers and like had a bunch of like sort of rules that we 
had agreed on that, like, we're not going to make Solidarity this. Solidarity. Yeah, team. you know, like, that if this goes awry in any way beforehand, that none of us will do it kind of thing. So um, they did it in a fairly okay way, but they had a side story that they had pre-filmed about this trans guy who was transitioning, who was married and had all these kids. And um, so that one was a little trashy. Not a little. It was probably a lot more trashy. And so we didn't have control over that. We only had control over our participation in it. So we didn't know about that other story. We weren't privy to that. So it was kind of like half gross and half okay but what 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 that sh- what that show and and um Baron Allen's show taught me was to do my due diligence because people don't know how to talk about trans issues um, and to correct them. And that I don't have to be belligerent about it, but I can kindly correct people and say, actually, that's not true. Or that's not how you want to say that because you'll piss off a lot of people um, or I have I have no interest in discussing that or it just helped help me like speak up for myself in ways that I hadn't before. So when did you get hooked up with Jill Soloway? So Jill... Uh, so I was asked by Jill to, um, not Joe, I was asked by Reese Ernst. He, mm-hmm. he was uh, uh, doing casting for Jill on the first episode of Transparent, on the pilot episode. And he wrote to me and asked me if uh, I would be interested in background work because they wanted all authentic and real trans people in the, in the scenes. And I said, sure, I'd be interested. So he gave me the date and the time and where to be. So I was there and... Um, Jill sat down with everybody and shared that her parent was um, in transition and that um, she was uh, herself on a learning curve and that this was inspired by her own family experience and shared a lot of information with us, which was really awesome. And then um, afterwards, she and I had a, after that day, we had a private conversation via Twitter. And she said, you know what, just text me or email me. It'll be easier. And... um, she said, would you mind coming into the writer's room and telling us your story? And I said, no, I wouldn't mind at all. So I went into the writer's room and I I told him my life story but infused a little bit of stand-up. And then she said, really what we want you to do is we want you to play this guy, Dale. He's the love interest of the youngest daughter, Allie. And, um, you know, I'm, I would like you to play him. And I was, I said, I said I'm scared. Uh, she said, why? I said, because I haven't acted in a long time. What I didn't tell her was that I hadn't acted since the eighth grade Hobbit play that I was mm-hmm. in. And, um, and she said, what if I make it safe for you? And I said, well, I'm interested. <laughs> and um, so the, the conversation continued into having me do a workshop with all the actors and um, also, um, she had a bunch of executives come to a stand-up show that I did at the Wiltern Theater with Tig Notaro, Zach Galifianakis, and uh, Pat Oswald, and Reggie Watts. And um, sorry about that. And um, she brought um, some of the writers and a bunch of the uh, the executives from Amazon. And so, um, like a, a day or two after that, I get a text message that I was driving and didn't receive and then I get a phone call and she said hey it's Jill I said hey what's up and she's like did you get my text message and I said no she said you got the part and I was like what are you shitting me oh my god oh my god oh my holy shit oh shit she said I won't I said I said I promise I won't let you down and she said no 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 I won't let you down so that's how that happened um and then um and I have to say let me say first of all in between that, so after I did Transparent um, and the next things that I got, I got managers, and the managers were amazing. They approached me and were like, listen, we really loved what you did on Transparent. We think you're a great stand-up. And they're the ones who pitched my comedy special. They're the ones who got me on Mistresses. They're the ones who, and I have to back up on that because they have submitted me for a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
I went out for a pilot in the, in the, a couple years ago in the fall, two years ago in the fall. And Mary Jo Slater, who's a casting agent, who's also Christian Slater's mom, is a big casting agent here in L.A. And I auditioned and got the part of this guy for this pilot. And it was to play like a gay, a gay, gay cubby kind of bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I filmed, I self-taped at home and uh, sent the audition in and I uh, got it. And when I went into the read, the table read, where everybody sits around and reads the first episode... Um, she was there, and she was like, you were incredible. She's like, that's the best self-tape I've ever seen. And I was like, really? I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and she then went back to my managers and cast mm-hmm. me for four episodes on The Mistresses. Oh, nice. And then, um, and also, I went in for, my managers got me um, uh, the Young and Hungry sitcom. Um, so I have to say that between Margaret, Jill, my managers... Mary Jo Slater, <laughs> and two of my managers, a guy and a girl. Um, so everybody, it's all been women involved in elevating my voice and sort of helping push push me forward and, and propel me. So I'm super grateful. So now that you have all of this stuff and you have that hour under your belt that you can say it's, I did an hour, it's available on a network. What now, I guess? I know. I'm saying the same thing to myself. What fucking now? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I actually have a... What, you know, when you get the cash and prizes, then... then <laughs> I'm already... You know, after you finish an hour, filming an hour, you have to write a whole new hour. So the first thing you, you ask yourself is, fuck, do I have anything left in me? Am I funny anymore? Do I have any more jokes? I'm like... In my head, I'm like, yes, of course. But, you know, my... Or excuse me, that's the reverse. In my heart, I'm like, yes, of course you do. In my head, I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> so, um, so kind of working that out with mm-hmm. those two sort of voices and saying, you know what, listen, listen to your listen to your heart. You know you do. Don't be afraid. Um, try new shit. And that's what I've been doing. So I've been going out and trying new material, um, stuff that isn't always trans-based. Like I have a dumb, a really dumb new jump rope joke. <laughs> um, I also have like... Uh, an impression of doing a vape guy like I hate like I hate vapors no offense to all you vapors I don't really hate you but I just think it's ridiculous and that like vaping is so fucking popular out here and people are doing it's just everywhere and so I do an impression of a vape guy named Kevin um, who has lost his vape juice um, and um, has misplaced his like vape pen that kind of shit anyway but um stuff that i'm like just trying out that like to sort of fancy like my own thoughts of like and, and try out things that I, and i text stuff to myself all the time and try new stuff out um but outside of that like what am i doing now i'm writing a script i have a i have a um a writing mentor i actually sat down with Jay Duplass from the Duplass Brothers and he read a script of mine and then he put me together with one of his writers um, from Togetherness. Are you familiar with right, the show? On HBO. And um, And um, she has been my mentor in help restructuring my script, which I'm so grateful for. Um, so I'm delving into actually screenwriting, which is something that I, you know, it's like another thing that like, this is so funny because this is my motto. Like, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, who cares? I don't know how to do that. I'm going to fucking try to do that. Um, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I really don't. But I, my favorite thing is to jump into something and have to fucking figure my way out of it. So that's what I'm doing with screenwriting and writing my script. But I also have a show and uh, uh, a show in development with Margaret's production company okay. um, that um, we are about to pitch to networks, which I can't tell you about right now, but I promise... <laughs> 
that um, <laughs> I will be posting the shit out of a link um, if something happens with that. Okay. But um, it's reality-based, and um, it's uh, it's something that I've been I've been doing for as long as I've been doing the comedy festival that I produce in Maine, which... Um, What's the festival So, Maine? the festival in Maine is the main comedy festival. I've been doing it. It's the first week in August uh, every year, um, and I, this will be our seventh year okay. coming up, and um, it's sort of a, something that I do partnered with that, and um, and I don't know. I just, um, I'm just, I just keep kind of throwing myself into shit and trying to figure my way out. New stuff. Now, is that what you would tell somebody brand new to do, too? Absolutely. Would you, or would you... Fucking would, jump. Would you tell them something a, different? For advice, no, I say fucking do it. Who cares? You don't know what you what you're doing. Who cares? Nobody does. Everybody's walking around fucking faking it. Nobody in this town, nobody in this town knows what the fuck they're doing. Even like even Jill has said, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I'm just everybody's winging it. Everybody's like going by sort of how it feels, and and every, you know, some people do really well at that, and um, and then some people just won't even try because they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. So you know what? If that if that's the case, then you'll never create anything. So I just um, I just jump a lot <laughs> into shit that I have no idea how to do stuff. I just built um, two connecting decks in my backyard that are freestanding, mm-hmm. um, surrounded by rock. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't. I don't know. I you know, but I just did it. I mean, who, and nobody said, "Hey, you can't do that." Like, but I just. I don't know. I just do shit that like I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, I'm grateful that you uh, jumped into this podcast without <laughs> having met me before. And uh, I hope that your relentlessly positive spirit uh, rubs off on me. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate this. Yeah, Thank you, just jump. Just jump. <laughs> Thanks for having me. My pleasure. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.